Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Jesus said new wine must be put into new wineskins. And so as we look for a fresh work of God in our day and in our time, and as we seek that out and as we pray for that, let's just remember the Lord's going to do something fresh and, yes, new. It will be different. It will have similarities, but it will have distinctions as well. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Mark, chapter 2, verses 13 through 28, in a message titled, The New Wine. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Jesus was calling them to himself. And and we have to, I think, again, that's something that we need to understand. You see, we are not to call people to live a better life, necessarily. We're not to call people away from their particular sin, necessarily. We are to call people to Jesus. And guess what? Jesus does that. He calls, he deals with that stuff. And I think a lot of times we as Christians, and I have been just as guilty as anybody, you know, you're, you're focusing so much on a, a person's sin and you're, you're feeling responsible, like I got to, you know, make sure they're convicted about the sin and I got to make sure they understand that they can't, you know, live in this sin or whatever. You know, Jesus is really good at doing that. I mean, that's, that's what he does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. You know, when I became a Christian, nobody had to tell me I was a sinner. Guess what? I knew I was a sinner. I already knew it. And that's why I was seeking to be saved. God had convicted my heart. And, and Jesus here, he, he calls them to himself, basically. The, the, those that are healthy don't need a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous. And of course, the righteous here is a reference to the self-righteous because there are no truly righteous people. But I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. And he calls sinners to come to him. And that's what we as his people in our generation remember the, the model that Jesus set for us. You know, that the idea, what would Jesus do? Well, this is what he did. He called people to himself. So we see, first of all, the gospel being manifested here in his dealing with Matthew. We see the, the mercy and the grace. But in the next story we see that joy is a mark of the gospel. What happens in the next story? So the disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Now, Listen, the Pharisees' version of serving God was a joyless, heavy, burdensome experience. That's what it was. If you're going to serve God, you better 
know that you're going to be miserable. That's what it was. Jesus even said, he said, the Pharisees, when they fast, he said, don't be like them. When they fast, what do they do? They disfigure their faces so that they look miserable to people. Now, the Pharisees are still alive and well today. There, there are many people that that is their presentation of what it is to serve God. It is a joyless, heavy, burdensome experience. Jesus said following him was like being part of a wedding party. That's the, that's the distinction that he's making here. It's like being part of a wedding party. What, what, is, what is a wedding uh, party like? Well, it's a place where there's lots of joy. You see, the gospel brings joy and the Christian life is to be marked by joy. And that's what Jesus is saying to them. You know, they're, they're really just irritated that Jesus and his disciples are having so much fun. It's like, that, that you shouldn't be doing that. You should be fasting. And Jesus says, oh, you know, there's a time for that. But this is not the time. And we have to remember that the, primarily... The Christian life is a life of joy. Do we know that? Do we understand that? And I think a lot of times we don't. And because we don't know that or experience that, because we sometimes don't even think that that's what it's supposed to be, not only are we miserable, but we in turn kind of, we're broadcasting out a, a signal that you know, if you want to follow and serve God, it's going to be a pretty rough and miserable road. But, you know, that's just the way it is. But to Jesus, it wasn't that way at all. It was the way of joy. And, and so Jesus tells them here, and we'll come back to this at the end. But this is where he tells them that what he's come to bring is new. So new wine must be put into new wineskins, he says. And, and what he's basically saying to them is that, of course, yes, there is a connection to the past, but what, what's happening now is independent of that. Jesus came in fulfillment of the prophecies and so forth. But these guys had so distorted and misunderstood that message and imposed that on the public, Jesus comes and says, no, this is... This is a new thing. God, God is doing a new thing here. And then in the third instance regarding the Sabbath, we see again something similar. But what we see here is that the gospel is marked by freedom. So we have here the Sabbath. Now it happened, verse 23, that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, the Sabbath commandment, you can read it in the Old Testament. It is very simple. It says this, six days you shall work and on the seventh day you shall rest. Another version of it is you shall do no work on the seventh day, on the Sabbath day. That's what the Bible said. You know what these guys did with that? They took that one commandment and they wrote 40 chapters on the technicalities of the Sabbath. And so for them, these guys were breaking the Sabbath. Now remember, to break the Sabbath in Israel was punishable by death. 
So these guys were saying, your disciples ought to die because they're violating the Sabbath. What were they doing? What, what was the big violation of the Sabbath? Well, the, the, the commandment said, you shall not work on the Sabbath day. And harvesting a crop would be considered working. That's for sure. But these guys were just picking heads of grain as they were walking through the field and rubbing it in their hand and then throwing it in their mouth and chewing on it. They interpreted that as a violation of you shall not work on the Sabbath day. And they wanted to condemn the disciples over that. You see, this is where religion goes. The, the rabbis, the ones who wrote the 40 chapters, I mean, these guys were like as OCD as you can get. You know, they were just... I mean, it's, you know, it's beyond belief, the, the things that they came up with. And even to this very day, the Orthodox Jews are under bondage to these extravagant interpretations of, of what it means not to violate the Sabbath. It, it's quite a, a sad thing that it's come all the way down. But what does Jesus do? Well, he points them to, to David. He says to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were with him. So Jesus, just as the way he always does, he just points them back to the scripture. He says, you're, you're condemning these guys? Well, let, let's talk about David. What did he do? The showbread was... Technically, it was there for the priest. And if you weren't a priest, you weren't supposed to eat it. But what Jesus goes on to say is something that they forgot, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God gave the Sabbath to bless men, not to bring them under a curse. But these guys had completely flipped it around the other way. What Jesus is saying is God's concerned more about people than he is about these rules. And, and whenever you get into a situation where you're more concerned about rules than you are about people, you know you're on the wrong side of things with Jesus. Jesus is, is always more concerned about the person. And then he says to them, finally, similar to what he said earlier when he said the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he says, therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. You know, Jesus is really saying this. He's saying, you know what? Don't worry about it, guys. I created the Sabbath, and they're all right. They, uh, they're not, that's not bothering me, what they're doing. <laughs> I'm okay with it. I'm the author of the Sabbath. And, and, of course, he was. Now, in all of these things, this is what we need to remember Mercy, grace, joy, freedom, these are what the gospel is about. And, and just this, the picture here is a beautiful picture. The picture of, of the disciples, they're going through the grain fields and they're having conversation with Jesus and they're basically just enjoying the presence of the Lord and the goodness of God, and the creation of God. And they're completely innocent. But these other guys see them as guilty of, of, of violating God's command. And, and that's the two different pictures. There, there's the one that, that's always going to 
give the impression that we are somehow offending God, that we are somehow, you know, not pleasing him, you know, and sometimes even in the church and sometimes even pastors are guilty. And I have certainly been guilty of it in the past where, you know, you're, you're always leaving people with the impression that somehow they're just, you know, falling short of pleasing God, that there's somehow always, you know, something that that's there that has caused us to just expect not the blessing of God, but to expect the opposite. And that is something that we have to guard against because that's what the Pharisees did. They, they took the goodness of God and, and the blessing of God that was revealed in the scriptures and they turned it into something that just oppressed and caused people's lives to be miserable. We have to be very, very careful to properly represent Christ and to properly represent who he is and, and what he's like. And of course, if we've experienced that grace, we're going to be much more likely to share it with others. But if we've fallen into some kind of a religious thing where it's all about the rules and proving ourselves and trying, you know, to, to be more pleasing to God through some legalistic type of a thing, we're missing out on the joy and the blessing of the gospel, and we're misrepresenting who Christ really is. So God help us. Uh, to, to receive the, the mercy and the grace and to walk in the joy and in the freedom. This past week, I read a, a book that I've been wanting to read for a while. It's written by a young lady named Jackie Hill Perry. Uh, she's a hip-hop artist, and, um, but she's got a really wonderful story about God's mercy upon her life. The book is called Gay Girl, Good God, and she wrote about her take on being a Christian before she met Jesus. And, and listen to what she said, because I think it's very apropos to what we're talking about today. She said this. She said, Christianity seemed to be a religion of just duty. I'd met so many disciples who preached more of sin than joy, whose eyes were stuck in a constant state of solemnity, clenched teeth, and an endless fascination with holiness. Why hadn't they ever mentioned the place of happiness or the place that happiness had within righteousness or how the taking up of the cross would be a practice of obtaining delight, delight in all that God is, even their savior. She's looking at them from a distance outside. Even their savior had this kind of joy in mind as he endured the cross. So why hadn't they set their focus on him? I just wonder if they would have told me about the beauty of God just as much, if not more, than they told me about the horridness of hell if I would have burned my idols at a faster pace. Wow. That's pretty powerful. But that, that's what we're talking about here. You see, because the main components of our faith or the main manifestations or the main experience are mercy and grace and joy and freedom and peace. That, that's what it is. 
But how is it that so often we, we present it in a way that doesn't look like that at all? Now, some would say, well, wait a second, you know, you're leaving out holiness. No, I'm not leaving out holiness. But what I am going to say is be careful about how you interpret holiness. See, because your idea of holiness might not really be accurate. Because guess what? The holiest man that ever lived was Jesus Christ. And these men thought he was unholy because he didn't keep their rules. He didn't do it the way they thought he should do it. So they marked him as a blasphemer. They marked him as an imposter. They marked him as an unholy person. The most holy person that ever lived, they said, oh, he's not holy at all. So let's be careful how we define holiness because we can be way off the mark. Grace, mercy, joy, freedom, love, kindness, all of these things, these are manifestations of holiness. And of course, as you're following the Lord, he is working in us that, that purity and those kinds of things. But he invites us to come to him just as we are. And when we come to him just as we are, he takes on the obligation of cleaning up our lives and transforming us. And he's got a lot more patience than we do with each other. He's got a lot more grace than we have for each other. And we need to learn that. Because only as we learn it will we then be able to more effectively impact other people for the gospel. Because they will, there's, the, there's the attraction that will be there because of the love that they see. So in closing, going back to Jesus referencing here the new wine. No one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the wine, new wine bursts the wineskins, the wine is spilled, the wineskins are ruined, but new wine must be put into new wineskins. You see, even as we look for God to work among us, we need to realize that it will look different than it might have looked before. This is a mistake that is made over and over and over again in the history of the church. Over and over again, this mistake is made. God does work in a generation, and it's wonderful, and it's perfect, and of course it fits because God does it, and then as we long for a work in the next generation, we want to tie it back to what, was, what happened in the previous generation. And we want to make that the standard, and we want to say that unless it's conforming exactly to what it was back then, then this can't be of God. This is happening right now. This is happening right now. I know people who just, you know, they're so tied to the past that God's working right before their eyes, but they can't see it. Because it's not conforming to what it was back then. But it's never going to conform to that. Because God is moving from generation to generation. And he's working according to what needs to be. At that time and place in history. And he's bringing new wine. You know wine in the Bible? Of course there's negative references to wine in the Bible. But there's also plenty of positive references to wine in the Bible. And do you know that wine is used in Scripture as a symbol of joy? 
So what am I saying? I am saying this, that the new wine is going to be marked by joy because the Holy Spirit brings joy into our lives. And so when we look for God to move in our generation, let's not be tied to some idea of how God has to do it. Let, let's recognize that uh, you know, it is possible to have God working right before your eyes and to completely miss it. That's what happened with the Pharisees. God was right in front of them, standing there, literally, in the flesh, and they couldn't see him. He was doing things that nobody else had done, but they couldn't see that it was God who was doing it because of their, their prejudice and because they were so tied to their vision of the past. But Jesus said, new wine must be put into new wineskins. And so as we look for a fresh work of God in our day and in our time, and as we seek that out and as we pray for that, let's just remember, the Lord's going to do something fresh and, yes, new. It will be different. It will have similarities because it's the work of God, but it will have distinctions as well. It will have what it needs to have, the mark that it needs to have for this time and this place. And so God help us. And then finally, if mercy and grace and joy and freedom have not been your experience as a Christian, then something's not right in your experience. And today, you can just yield to that work of God's grace and it, that he's, he's offering to you and, and receive that for yourself and then to share with others. Those are the marks of the gospel impacting a person's life. Mercy, grace, joy, freedom, and yes, holiness is all a part of that. It, it all works together. It's not one or the other. It's all together. And you know, the older I get, the longer I go in life here, man, I just realize I lived so many years of my Christian life in, in bondage to it just things I put on myself, burdens I put on myself. God wasn't putting those burdens on me. And I just would go around under this heavy thing of Man, you know, the Lord's really weighing me down with these things. And then I was in turn imparting that to others, putting people in bondage to man-made rules and obligations. But I want to live in that picture there with those disciples. I'm just hanging out with Jesus walking through the grain fields, plucking the heads of grain, just having a great time, experiencing his love, being so thankful, or being at that party with Matthew and those people, man, just listening to Jesus and watching his spirit take people's lives like 
Levi, take him from tax collector and sinner to apostle and prophet. He does that. He's still doing that. And remember this, Matthew himself is the embodiment of the gospel. For the month of June, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Gospel by Ray Ortland. With powerful insight and clarity, Ray Ortland presents a grand vision of what the church can be if we embrace the power of the gospel and apply it to our daily experiences and witness for God. The book The Gospel by Ray Ortland is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.